I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading Daniel chapter 7 through 9. This is the new King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. In chapter 7, Daniel has a vision. Verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And suddenly another beast, a second like a bear. It was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and there was another, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong, It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little horn, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words." I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened." I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him." Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things." Those great beasts, which are four, are four kings which arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom, and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue with its feet. 
and the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn which came up, before which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints, and prevailing against them, until the Ancient of Days came, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones, and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion, to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me, and my countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Well, in this vision, Daniel sees four beasts, and they're all similar to something earthly, but weird-looking in their own distinct way. We see in verse 17 what is meant. It says, Those great beasts which are four are four kings which arise out of the earth. These beasts represent the same four kingdoms as did the image that we saw in Daniel chapter 2. The Babylonian kingdom, the Medo-Persian kingdom, the Greek kingdom, or empire, and the Roman empire. It's the fourth kingdom that deserves a little bit more attention in this passage. It speaks of the revived Roman empire that's still future to us. Now, I have a chart that shows the representations of Daniel 7. If you're looking at the written notes of BibleTrack.org, you can see... Uh, those. Much of the terminology and imagery of this fourth beast is also found in Revelation chapter 13. It describes the man that many often refer to as the yet-to-come Antichrist. You'll often hear the beast of Revelation 13, also known as the Antichrist popularly. You'll sometimes hear him referred to as the little horn, derived from his description in Daniel chapter 7 verse 8. He causes great distress to the saints of God in the last half of the tribulation represented by Daniel in verse 25 as a time and times and half a time. That's Daniel's way of expressing three and a half years. This Antichrist is the one who desecrates the temple in Jerusalem at the middle of the tribulation and declares himself to be God. That action is referred to as the abomination of desolation. Christ refers to Daniel's prophecy regarding this event in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. Daniel has this as a recurring theme in these passages, in Daniel 9, 27, 11, 31, and 12, 11. It's the same event that Paul wrote about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll be revisiting this event several times as we look at the rest of the book of Daniel and as we look at the book of Revelation. You'll notice that this kingdom and the Antichrist are destroyed beginning in verse 22. God, by the way, is the Ancient of Days in this prophecy. And this corresponds to the Battle of Armageddon in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 21. And the possession by the saints represent the millennium immediately following this battle. 
The demise of the Antichrist here is described in verses 10 and 26. This corresponds to the sharp sword which proceeds out of the mouth of the Messiah when he returns at the end of the tribulation in Revelation 19.15. It's obvious that Daniel and John the Revelator are speaking of the same incident and the same satanic leader commonly known as the Antichrist. Now, if you're looking at the written notes of BibleTrack.org, and I should say that it's a little difficult to comprehend uh, some of the details here unless you are actually looking at it, but I've provided a prophecy timeline to show you the major events that we're talking about today. The judgment of verse 10 is interesting. It says, "...a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousand ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him." The court was seated and the books were opened. Now, as I mentioned earlier, with regard to Jesus at his return, the fiery stream seems to correspond to the sharp sword that proceeds out of his mouth in Revelation 19.15. The rest of the description found in that verse with regard to the judgment certainly refers to the white throne judgment of Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. There, according to John's revelation, all the wicked laws, past, present, and future to us, will appear before this judgment. And it refers to them as 10,000 times 10,000. And they will be judged out of a set of books, according to Daniel 7.10 and Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. We see a clear prophetic reference to the Messiah, Jesus himself, as the agent of God on the earth here in verses 13 and 14. Those two verses say, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Well, and there's your messianic rule as well. When Jesus frequently referenced himself as the Son of Man in the Gospel accounts, the Jewish leaders obviously, well, they took exception to his use of that term. Although Ezekiel used the term as a self-identifier many times throughout his prophecy, Daniel here obviously uses it as a reference for the Messiah. Now, many speculations have been spun out of verses 23 through 27 of this chapter regarding the ten horns of the fourth beast. Well, let's list uh, what we know and are somewhat confident about regarding this passage. First of all, the fourth kingdom represented by the fourth beast of verse 23 is undoubtedly the same as the fourth kingdom in Daniel chapter 2, verses 31 to 45. That fourth kingdom was identified as the Roman Empire in that passage, past and future. That kingdom shall devour the whole earth in verse 23. This would indicate a worldwide kingdom Certainly, the Roman Empire was one of the great empires of history. Daniel's prophecies see the Roman Empire emerging once again to worldwide dominance. And then the ten kings of verse 24 would indicate that the yet future revived Roman Empire will be controlled by ten equal leaders. The timing here seems to differ slightly from what appears to be the same scenario in Revelation chapter 17, verse 12. Another king will emerge, which will subdue three of the ten kings in verse 24. The Aramaic word for subdue there means bring low, humble, or put down. This eleventh king will speak great words against the Most High. 
he will also persecute the saints of the Most High, according to verse 25. Well, there could be no question but that this is a reference to the yet future character that we commonly call the Antichrist, who is really the first beast of Revelation chapter 13. Undoubtedly, he's the same character about whom Paul wrote in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. This leader, we're told, will change times and laws, according to verse 25. He'll make a covenant with Israel, but break that covenant at the middle of the tribulation, according to Second Thessalonians 2. And that uh, is referenced here as he'll change times and laws. As we mentioned earlier, the period of time referenced here will be the last three and a half years of the tribulation. He'll be destroyed at the end of the tribulation, verse 26. This undoubtedly corresponds to the battle of Armageddon in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 21. Then the kingdom of the Antichrist shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High, according to verse 27. Obviously, this is a reference to the yet future millennium. Now, some teachers of prophecy will tell you more about this passage, but it's just speculation. Understanding prophecy is a progressive process. The closer we get to the events outlined here, the more events seem to fall into place. It's natural to speculate. We just need to be careful to identify the difference between what we know and what we speculate. In chapter 8, Daniel has another vision with more beasts. Verse 1. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, to me, Daniel, after the one that appeared to me the first time. I saw in the vision, and it so happened while I was looking, that I was in Shushan, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam, and I saw in the vision that I was by the river Uli. Then I lifted my eyes and saw, and there standing beside the river was a ram which had two horns, and the two horns were high. But one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram pushing westward, northward, and southward, and that no animal could withstand him. Nor was there any that could deliver from his hand, but he did according to his will and became great. And I was considering, suddenly a male goat came from the west across the surface of the whole earth, without touching the ground, and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. Then he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing beside the river, and ran at him with furious power. And I saw him confronting the ram. He was moved with rage against him, attacked the ram, and broke his two horns. There was no power in the ram to withstand him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled him, and there was no one that could deliver the ram from his hand. Therefore the male goat grew very great, but when he became strong, the large horn was broken, and in place of it four notable ones came up toward the four winds of heaven. And out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. And it grew up to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the hosts and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. He even exalted himself as high as the prince of the host, and by him the daily sacrifices were taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down." Because of transgression, an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifices, and he cast truth down to the ground. He did all this and prospered. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to that certain one who was speaking, How long will this vision be concerning the daily sacrifices and the transgression of desolation, the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For two thousand three hundred days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Then it happened when I, Daniel, had seen the vision and was seeking the meaning that suddenly there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. 
And I heard a man's voice between the banks of Uli, who called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid and fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the time of the end. Now, as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but he touched me and stood me upright. And he said, Look, I am making known to you what shall happen in the latter time of the indignation, for at the appointed time the end shall be. The ram which you saw having the two horns, they are kings of Media and Persia. And the male goat is the kingdom of Greece. The large horn that is between its eyes is the first king. As for the broken horn and the four that stood up in its place, four kingdoms shall rise out of that nation, but not with its power. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise having fierce features, who understands sinister schemes. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy fearfully, and shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the mighty, and also the holy people. Through his cunning he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule, and he shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes. But he shall be broken without human means. And the vision of the evenings and mornings, which was told, is true. Therefore seal up the vision, for it refers to many days in the future. And I, Daniel, fainted, and was sick for days. Afterward I arose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. Chapter 8 contains a prophecy that's already been fulfilled. This time Daniel's vision involves a ram and a goat. Here, however, only two of the four kingdoms of Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 are in view. Those two kingdoms are the Medo-Persian kingdom and the Greek empire or kingdom, clearly identified in verses 20 and 21. Now, horns are key words in this vision. The two horns of the ram represent the coalition of the Medes and the Persians. The single horn of the goat represents the kingdom of Alexander the Great, who overcame the Medo-Persian Empire in verse 7. However, after leaving no heir to his kingdom, Alexander's Greek Empire was divided into four separate kingdoms after his death. This is represented by the horn in verse 8 being broken off and four horns replacing it. It was the successor to one of those four kingdoms about which this vision is written over 400 years before it was actually to take place. This successor to one of the four portions of the Greek Empire was Antiochus Epiphanes IV. He was a weasel of a man who wreaked havoc on the Jews in Jerusalem after going to war and being soundly defeated in Egypt. On his return through Israel in 167 B.C., he desecrated the temple by offering a pig on the altar there, and he forced the Jews to offer pigs as sacrifices and eat swine meat or they would die. He was determined to replace their Jewish culture with Greek culture. Daniel's reference to 2300 in verse 14 could mean the 2300 morning and evening sacrifices that were desecrated, or it could refer to the number of days. We don't know the exact number of days this ordeal actually took place. This all happened, by the way, during the Maccabean period between the Old Testament and New Testament. These events are well documented in the apocryphal historical books of First and Second Maccabees. While these books are not part of the canon of divinely inspired scripture, no serious scholar doubts the historical authenticity of the writings of the First and Second Maccabees, nor do they dispute the accuracy of the events as they are portrayed. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel asked God some questions. Verse 1. 
In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish seventy years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you. But to us, shame of face, as it is this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off, and all the countries to which you have driven them, because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his ways, which he set before us by his servants the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges, who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster. For under the whole heaven such as has never been done, as what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice." And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now therefore, our God... Hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications, and for the Lord's sake cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. So Daniel begins this chapter in prayer before God. He has some questions. Daniel fully acknowledges that Israel's gotten what they deserved, he even makes reference to the prophecy of Moses in verse 11 with the associated curses for disobedience. That's recorded back in Deuteronomy chapters 28 through 30. Babylon has fallen at this point, and it's around 539 B.C. or so. Daniel, in verse 2, has been reading Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10. It says, For thus says the Lord, After seventy years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. 
Now, Daniel himself has gone into captivity in 605 B.C., but when does this 70-year countdown begin? That's what he wants to know. He thinks maybe the fall of the Jerusalem in 586 B.C., or would it be from the time the first captives were taken in 605 B.C. when the exiles would start returning to Jerusalem? I mean, inquiring minds want to know, and Daniel too. Incidentally, the exiles did begin returning in 535 B.C., which just happened to be 70 years after the exile of Daniel. Daniel, being a man of God, goes to God in prayer on behalf of his people regarding their return, that it can begin now, 70 years after Daniel's own exile. So Gabriel's back with some amazing information in verses 20 to 23. Verse 20, now, while I was speaking, praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand." At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Well, here's Gabriel again for an encore presentation to Daniel. He first spoke back in chapter 8, verse 16. And this time he's carrying with him one of the most amazing prophecies of the entire Bible. It's a remarkable prophecy. And it's found in the next four verses, verses 24 through 27 of Daniel chapter 9. Let's read those verses. Daniel's 70 weeks. Verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince... There shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The streets shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublous times. And after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood, and till the end of the war desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Well, first of all, look at the word weeks as an order regarding this passage. The Hebrew word for weeks is shabu'ah. This is the general Hebrew word for a group of seven, seven of anything, days, weeks, years. So, so these weeks in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, are referencing a period of groups of seven years, not seven days. It's just the way they talked back then. This usage is further validated inasmuch as Daniel was contemplating the meaning of the 70 years of Jeremiah's prophecy at the time of the appearance of Gabriel, here in Daniel chapter 9, verse 2. Jeremiah's prophecy is first seen in Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 1 through 14. Based upon that linkage, there's no question that Daniel's issuing a prophecy concerning a period of 70 years. Now, let's understand verse 24. This prophecy concerns 70 weeks, groups of seven years, or 490 years. 490 years of Jewish prophecy to fulfill the six conditions of verse 24. These will be realized for the first time in the millennium. 
That's the thousand-year period immediately following the seven years of tribulation. Daniel's made to understand that this criteria is not to be met at the conclusion of Jeremiah's prophesied 70 years of exile, but rather seven times longer than that, or 490 years. Now, the conditions to be fulfilled with regard to Israel are located in verse 24, and here they are. First of all, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins is number two, to make reconciliation for iniquity is the third one, to bring in everlasting righteousness is the fourth one, to seal up vision and prophecy is the fifth one, and the last one, to anoint the most holy, in other words, the Messiah rules. Now let's do the math in verse 25. Understanding each week to be seven years, we have seven times seven plus 62 times seven. That comes out to 483 years between those two events. What two events? Well, the first event is the decree that would result in the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. We'll talk more about that in a few moments. The second event is the appearance of the Messiah. I'm completely confident that the time lapse between these two events was actually 483 years. How did Daniel know that? Well, God told him in this vision. But wait, there's more. In verse 26, his vision reveals that after that period of 62 times 7, the end of the 483 years, the Messiah would be cut off. Daniel saw the crucifixion of Jesus, the Messiah. In that same verse, he saw the destruction of the temple after that in 70 A.D., approximately 40 years later. It's really a remarkable vision. Now, that being said, there are some differences of opinion regarding the exact beginning and ending points of this prophecy. It's most common for commentators to embrace one view as opposed to another, declining to make his readers aware of the controversy. Here, I'm going to attempt to show you the pertinent data regarding all three of the most prominent views on the issue and let you see the relevant math involved. I'm going to creatively call these position number one, position number two, and position number three. Uh, let's look at position number one, first of all. It's 483 years times 360-day years, which are considered to be prophetic years. That's 173,880 uh, days equals 476 years times 365-day solar years. Well... Let's see what that comes out to. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1, in 445 B.C. to the crucifixion of Jesus in 32 A.D. equals 476 years. And there's the math on that. Now, the problem with that is the rendering of 360-day prophetic years without compensation for leap years. And there's a second problem. It's virtually indisputable that the crucifixion took place in 30 A.D., not 32 A.D., Therefore, there's a little problem with rendering it from Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1 in 445 B.C. to the crucifixion of Jesus in 32 A.D. because really, Jesus, and check my notes on this, Jesus was crucified around 30 A.D. and virtually all scholars who have dated the scripture based upon the death of Herod and the fact that Herod was living when Jesus was born Everyone dates, nearly everyone dates the crucifixion of Jesus at 30 A.D. Well, the second position is one, by the way, adhered to by the Jehovah Witnesses and others. Uh, they say 483 solar years beginning in 454 B.C. 
Now, Nehemiah 2.1 marks the beginning in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, but includes a co-regent position for nine years while his father was leading the army in foreign lands, thus making it 454 B.C. That's the, uh, that's the difference, the position number one. The countdown began in 445 B.C. in Nehemiah 2.1. And in this position, position number two, Nehemiah 2.1 is dated to be 454 B.C. Now, there's a problem here. While this does calculate to a 30 A.D. crucifixion, there's no record, biblical or historical, that Artaxerxes shared a reign with his father, thus making 454 B.C. a very uncertain beginning. The third position is 483 solar years from 457 B.C. That's the seventh year of Artaxerxes, all the way down to 27 A.D., which equates to the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. Now, Ezra was commissioned to go to Jerusalem to rebuild in Ezra chapter 7, verse 8. The other two positions uh, began in Nehemiah 2, 1. But uh, Ezra was commissioned to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple in Ezra chapter 7, verse 8, which equates to 457 B.C., the decree included the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem, according to Ezra chapter 9, verse 9. But there is a slight problem with this position. While Ezra embarked upon his mission with the decree to rebuild the walls, the completed work had stalled until Nehemiah received his decree in 445 B.C. However, it is reported in Ezra 4.12 that the Jews had already, and it says, finishing its walls and repairing the foundations. That validates the fact that all the rebuilding decrees included the rebuilding of the walls around Jerusalem, not simply the rebuilding of the temple. That first decree had been issued under Cyrus the Great, recorded in Second Chronicles 36.23 and Ezra chapter 1, verses 2-4. through 4. Now, to summarize, there's no question in my mind that 483 years is the time frame between two events. I'm not comfortable with the 360-day year theory, that's position number one, since it's a fact that the Jews had leap years to compensate for those uh, 360-day years. In addition, the crucifixion could not have taken place in 32 AD because Jesus was actually born in, well, 4 BC. Uh, look at my notes on Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 23, and get the details regarding the date of Jesus' birth in relation to Herod's reign. While the math works with position number two, still there's no evidence that Artaxerxes began his reign earlier than 464 B.C., thus making his 20th year 445 B.C. This position requires us to accept an undocumented premise. Position number three is not widely taught, but it does contain all the elements necessary to be a viable position. The seventh year of Artaxerxes calculates to 457 B.C., the ending point is rendered in Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, as until Messiah the Prince. Now, that can certainly refer to the beginning of the public ministry of Jesus in 27 AD, rather than the crucifixion in 30 AD. Therefore, it appears that the most viable solution to our 483-year prophecy is that of that third position, position number 3, beginning in 457 BC and ending in 27 AD. There has been a lot of speculation regarding the first period of 7 times 7 in verse 25, or those 49 years. Is that significant of anything? Well, I just don't know. 
Some have suggested that to be the time that it took to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem, but we're told in Nehemiah 6.15 that it really only took 52 days to do that. Others have suggested that after the wall had been rebuilt around Jerusalem, it took 49 years for the people in Nehemiah 7 to get moved into the new houses that they built. That's a reasonable speculation, but it really is just that, speculation. I'm not convinced that the first 7 times 7 has to be significant of any event. It may be that Daniel was just expressing his prophecy in terms of sevens. At the end here, we see that here's the beast, also known as the Antichrist again. Now, there's a gap. There's a gap because the progress towards fulfillment of the prophecy concerning the Jews is interrupted by the crucifixion of the long-awaited Messiah. Daniel saw that gap in verse 26. Therefore, verse 27 deals with the last seven-year period of this prophecy. This is the seven-year period commonly called the tribulation beginning in Revelation chapter 6. At the center of the controversy is the man we typically call the Antichrist. That's perhaps an inaccurate designation for him. He's known as the beast of Revelation chapter 13. We're told that he's a descendant of the people who destroyed the temple in verse 26. Those people happen to be Romans in 70 AD under General Titus. Therefore, the Antichrist will be of Roman descent. In verse 27, it says that he makes a covenant with the people during the tribulation who make the sacrifices, that be the Jews, for seven years. In the middle of those seven years, in other words, in the middle of that week, he breaks the covenant and causes the sacrifices to cease. He also desecrates the temple at that three-and-a-half-year midpoint. This abomination of desolation is referenced by Christ himself in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. Here's what Jesus said. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Daniel speaks of it again in Daniel chapter 11, verse 31, and Daniel chapter 12, verse 11. The exact description of what takes place to constitute this abomination of desolation is found in 2 Thessalonians 2. The Antichrist moves into the Holy of Holies of the rebuilt temple and declares that he himself shall be worshipped as God. All of this was prophesied by Daniel nearly 100 years before the decree to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem was issued. And that is just remarkable. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walker.